Good morning, Cedar Valley. Thank you so much for joining us. We are super excited that you're here. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley Church, and we're here for another online church service. If this is one of your first times dropping by, we are super glad you're here, and we would love to get to know you better. But right now with this online platform, uh, the best way to do that is we need you to kind of reach out to us as well so we, that, we know that you're actually here. And you can do that by either messaging us on Facebook or the YouTube platform, whatever you're watching on. You can uh, comment on this video or you can even shoot us an email at hello at cedarvalley.ca. Uh, we would just love to get to know you, get you part of our community, let you know about the things happening in uh, just our ministries going on. It's not just this online Sunday morning service. Uh, the other things too, for all of you watching, if you wanna stay best informed with the different kind of updates, announcements, activities, ministries coming up, especially with what's coming up for the fall now as we look towards September and seeing how just church during uh, COVID kind of season era is gonna be, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or head over to cedarvalley.ca and sign up for our email newsletter. It's just gonna be full of uh, updates and information that uh, really is going to be the best way for you to stay informed, get the information you need, and the contact information if you need to give us a call, any of the staff here or our office. Now, I have a special update and announcement from Pastor Doug, so watch this. Hey, welcome to the playground at the Cedar Valley Preschool. We're so glad you could join us here. Now, if you just look around a bit, it's a bit of a mess. Luckily, there's been no kids here for a few months, but there have been others. I want you to take a look for a moment at this big ditch running right through the middle of the preschool. Normally, ditches, ditches aren't all that interesting, but this leads to something that we want you to see. Now, for the last few years, the preschool has been saving a lot of money in hopes of building some new bathrooms closer to their facility. And for a few years, we've been working on plans for getting these bathrooms in. Well, it just so happened that about a month and a half ago, our permits came through. And we wanna show you what's been going on down here. If you've been around the church for a while and you've been in the East Building, you would recognize, well, you won't recognize, but this used to be an old wooden stairway. The stairs are gone and you can see the bathroom is beginning. Framing is done, the rough-in plumbing is here, and this is gonna be awesome. Right next to the preschool here, we're gonna move the door, so this will be part of the preschool facility. No more wandering down the hall. You can see these stripes here for the kids. Through here, take a left down the building, take a right to the bathrooms on the far end of the building. They're gonna be right beside the preschool here. We're really excited about that, and we wanted to show you that. Well, there's something else as well. Come on with me. We're upstairs directly above the bathroom that we were just downstairs where the old stairs used to be. There's also a bathroom going in on the top level of this part of the building. New washrooms going in here and sinks. Just through these, whoa, careful on the equipment here, all of the construction things, just between these doors is where the Iwana meets every Wednesday. Now they're going to have bathrooms right close by. Also down that hall is where our rental groups meet. They will have washroom facilities right close by as well. Thank you for your generous giving to the church. We're excited about the developments here as ministry moves forward. Also, if our preschool continues to expand the way it has over the years, now we're ready to move, use the rooms upstairs as well for the preschool ministry. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Cedar Valley. We are 
very thankful for your continued generous support of this church, the work that this community, this, this church is doing in the community here in Mission. Uh, on that same note too, we're also very thankful for your uh, financial support really in giving in uh, a little while back when this all started and we had to move into an online film-based video ministry service. Uh, we started taking a look at our equipment and realized that we are really underprepared for this. And so we uh, started by renting and borrowing some stuff and we realized this needed to be a ministry we had to build. So we asked you to help us fundraise and we set a goal for $8,500. And so far at this point, we're over half. We're super excited. We've been able to start diving in, training up a team. And thank you so much for that continued support. If you want to find out ways to financially support the ministries of Cedar Valley, you can head over to cedarvalley.ca slash give or find the tab on any of the pages on the website. Uh, and then even another note is if you are watching alone or you don't have easy access to a device to watch these kind of services, maybe you've only get, been able to see it after your internet's kind of choppy, we are hosting now watch parties uh, here at the church. We have a nice big screen. We're spaced out safely. We've got a good clean environment and uh, there's room for more. So let us know if you'd love to come by for that Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Give the office a shout, uh, email hello at cedarvalley.ca or give us a phone call 604-826-2445 and we'd love to get you involved in that. We're going to be heading into the service here in just a moment. We're going to be led in a time of worship. There's going to be lyrics on the screen for you so you can join in however you feel comfortable with the music. After that, we have a kids lesson uh, from Pastor Doug, a great object lesson, so stick around for that. And then this morning, we're chatting about why Christians seem so uptight about alcohol. You know, how does it balance with, I thought Jesus drank wine, but then all of a sudden, you know, Christianity helped create entire uh, prohibitions. Uh, what is the deal with alcohol and what does God say about it? What does the Bible say about it? So that's what we're talking about this morning. Stay tuned for that. Um, but just before we head into everything, if you're watching live, head over to the comment section on Facebook or YouTube. Last week, I was telling you how, you know, we're in this for the long run. We've done a lot of episodes already and uh, I'm starting to run out of some icebreak ideas. So I asked you for your favorite icebreaker questions and we had a good one that was actually repeated a few times. But head over to the comment section and answer this question. What is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? Even just like a good little one-liner, throw it in the comment section, spread the wisdom around, let us know uh, just some great advice that you've been given that somebody else might wanna know. Thank you for joining this morning, Cedar Valley. Have a great one.
Hey, church family, welcome to church. Thanks for joining us. Please join us as we sing together.
Hey there, Cedar Valley kids. We're so glad that you can join us today. But first, before we get into our lesson, I want to tell you of a great event that's coming up a little bit this summer. Now, on Sunday, August the 16th, we are having a summertime super slip and slide party at our house. That's right, at Pastor Doug's. Now, what you need to do is get your parents to sign up for a time. Everybody can come over, but you have to sign up for one hour and a half spot starting from 12 o'clock all the way through to 7. Bring your slip and sliding gear and we're going to have great fun. There's going to be hot dogs and refreshments. Now, you can sign up for a one hour and a half with some, anybody that's in your social bubble, come out and have fun and then you're going to go and then the next group is going to come for an hour and a half. The details are going to be on our Young Families Facebook page. Check it out there. Sign up. It's going to be great. Now, to our lesson. Theo and I this morning, while we were having breakfast, we decided that we would like to go to Mars. So, in order to do that, we're going to need a rocket and we got a little one here and so we're going to do a test flight just to see how things might go. Now, Theo wants to remind his mom, don't worry, we're going to be back for dinner. Alright, so here's our rocket and we're going to take it out of the package. Here, Theo, can you take that out for me? We've got our rocket and our launcher and it says that we need 10 millimeters, uh, milliliters of rocket fuel and we've got that right here. So what's going to happen is, can you hold that there, Theo, for me? And we're going to put our little filler in and we're going to get our rocket fuel and 10 milliliters, we're going to pour that in just a little bit more. That's that's about it right there. Good. So just keep holding that there. We'll take our filler out. Now this is really important that you do it just right. Because if you're going to get all the way to Mars, you need to do this just right. So put our launcher on like this. Then. Now it says that we have to pump it. So in order to get to moon, to the moon, you've got to do three pumps. But we're going to Mars it's a lot farther. We've got to do five pumps. So there's one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to give it one more and a little bit more. Okay, we're set to go. We're going to launch off to Mars in just a moment. Theo, I'm going to get you to grab that handle, pull it back really tight and see what happens. Wow! Oh no! Catastrophic failure! We didn't go anywhere. We just got ourselves a little bit wet, right? You know what, Theo? I think we're going to have to go home and build our own rocket if we want to get to Mars. But let me tell you about guys who really know how to build a real rocket. Just a few days ago, on Thursday morning, the guys and girls at NASA, they launched a rocket from Florida to go all the way to Mars. Theo, can you show us the picture of that rocket? This is the rocket that's actually launching. Take a look at that. Now, Mars is a long way away. Does anybody have a guess? How far do you think Mars is away from Earth? I'll give you a moment to guess. Maybe type in your answer and let's see what your guesses are. Do you know what? Right now, Mars is 56 million kilometers from Earth. That's a long ways. But if you look up in the sky tonight, if you see a little reddish planet, 
you can see Mars. Now, this rocket that just launched a few days ago, its name is Perseverance. And do you know how fast it's gonna fly through space? 19,000 kilometers per hour. That's fast. And this rocket is gonna zoom through space for 235 days, they tell us. Then on February the 18th, 2021, at exactly 3.40 p.m. in the afternoon, it's gonna land on Mars. How cool is that? But the problem is, when you're going 19,000 kilometers an hour, it's hard to stop. And what's happened before is they've crashed rockets because they couldn't stop them before they wanted to land. So, if they can land without crashing, the rover, which has a drone to fly around, is gonna get out of the rocket. And Theo, you can show us the next picture. Show us the rover. That rover right there, it's gonna get out of the rocket ship and it's gonna rove around Mars. And it has its own drone and it's gonna fly around and take pictures and they're gonna sample rocks and take pictures and the rocket can't actually get back to Earth. So it's just gonna send pictures of what they find. So why go all the way to Mars? No one lives there. They're looking for life or maybe signs of life that used to be there and the rover Perseverance, it's gonna send back pictures of what it sees. But you know what? Whatever they find up there, it will be there because God put it there. That's right, he created everything. He created the earth and us and all of the heavens. And he keeps all of these planets and stars, millions and trillions and billions of them from crashing in together all in their place. And do you know what it says? That God determines the number of stars in the heavens and calls them by name. In Psalm 147 verse 4, it tells us that. How cool. And if God knows all of the stars by name, how much more does, do you think he knows you? You can put the picture down. And me and everybody, because we're created in his image. Now, Theo has a verse for us, too, that talks about God and the stars. Can you say that to us? I'm going to bring the mic. Speak right into here. All right. Can you say our verse for us? Um, what is it? The heavens. Uh, uh, what? The heavens declare. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm. And Psalm. 19. 19 verse 1. That's right. The heavens declare the glory of God. God put the stars up in the sky for us to see, to display his glory and how incredible he is. So what I want you to do is tonight, look at the stars and know that God made the heavens to show us his glory. And he, if he knows the billions of billions of stars by name, think of how much more he knows and he loves you. That's how great our God is. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Can you say bye, Theo? Bye. Bye-bye. Why are Christians so uptight about alcohol? Well, the short answer is some are, and some aren't, and both have uh, good reasons. 
I would say that I was an alcoholic during my university life. I'd say that because of the amount of alcohol I drank during the course of my university life, enough to average out my consumption of alcohol for my entire life, but also because of why I drank. I drank to fit in, I drank to feel less inhibited, I drank to get drunk to escape and to forget my problems and my troubles. I had a relationship with alcohol. It just wasn't a very healthy relationship. Drinking didn't help me make friends. It often did the opposite, causing me to say and do things I'd regret the next day, but excusing them because, you know, I was drunk the night before. It made me feel less inhibited, but that too often led to embarrassment and regret. And getting drunk also relieved me of feeling and thinking about the problems and troubles of those days. But I'd always wake up with those troubles the next day, never escaping them, never forgetting them, really, and lots of the time never dealing with them. Then, and this is gonna sound a little cheesy, actually, uh, but I'm gonna stick with my relationship metaphor. I broke up with drinking when I met Jesus. I know, it was cheesy, I told you it was. I fit in with him because of his unconditional love for me. I could be myself because I was accepted by him, but also because he made me a certain way, actually, with certain gifts to love others like he loves me. I could face my problems and troubles because I wasn't facing them alone. I'd have Jesus as my empathetic and my understanding guide. I'd have his spirit within me to fill me with his power and his wisdom. And I'd have the company of others, the church, to challenge and to encourage me in my relationship with Jesus. Not to mention that I'd save a ton of dough and not actually buying any alcohol. But first, God got my attention. I was fined, charged, and lost my driver's license for drinking under the influence of alcohol in 1989. It was a sobering time. Pun intended. That's totally a dad joke. But in it, I met my wife, Jackie, and in that I met Jesus. Not only because Jackie represented Christianity, followers of Jesus, really well, but also because I read the Bible for myself for the first time during that time. I was mentored in my young faith, and I turned to Jesus for friendship, courage, and purpose. And then I turned to ministry because of who Jesus is and how he made me. I became a pastor at a Baptist church in Ontario where, as part of my contract, believe it or not, I was asked to, you got to abstain from alcohol. I'd already been moving in that direction anyway, so I, I just signed the contract, no problem. I'm at a point in my life now when I choose to not drink alcohol. It's too strong for my taste. It tends to upset my stomach, and I like the taste of other drinks a whole lot better. But abstinence from drinking alcohol for everyone is a personal choice. We're here to ask this morning, what does the Bible say about drinking? Well, here are a couple of positive Bible references to consumption of alcohol. Uh, I'm just listing them there for your reference and you can 
take a look in your own Bibles as I read them out loud, or you can just sit back and listen. Your call. From Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, Go eat your food with gladness, says the Lord, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. And then Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, He, God, makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. So, it seems that God is okay with us drinking alcohol since he brings forth fruit from the ground to make wine that he then commends us to drink with a joyful heart. It's also worth mentioning that Jesus drank wine. Luke, in his biography of Jesus, admonished the religious leaders of his day, actually, by saying, and I'm quoting from Luke chapter 7 here, verses 33 to 35, For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you, speaking to the Pharisees and the experts in religious law, you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man, which was the title given to Jesus, so this is a contrasting statement, came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. As if to say, like, which is it? You just cannot have it both ways. To the point, however, this text clearly implies, if it doesn't spell out, that Jesus drank wine. And then, of course, he would have drunk wine at Passover meal after Passover meal growing up in a Jewish home, and he drank wine at his very last meal when he celebrated the Passover with his closest disciples. Never mind that his first miracle was turning water into wine. That's right. John chapter 2. It's also worth noting that the church has used wine to celebrate communion, an updated version of the Passover meal, and done so well into the 1800s when, in 1869, here's a fun fact, Thomas Bramwell Welch, you know where I'm going with this, who was a Methodist minister and a dentist, there's a combo you don't hear about a lot these days, pioneered the use of pasteurization as a means of preventing fermentation of grape juice, giving us alcohol-free grape juice, what we would know as Welch's grape juice. I did not know that until I knew that. Now, now, before you go, pour yourself a nice tall glass of wine or a pilsner of your favorite amber to toast to this teaching. While the Bible says it's okay to drink beer or wine or other forms of alcohol, as we'll see in the very last of the texts I share, it has at least two helpful guidelines for our consumption. The first and foremost of which is this. It's okay to drink, but let's avoid drunkenness. So here are two cautionary Bible references for you to consider that I'll read for you shortly. Again, same drill if you want. Just go find them in your own Bible. 
but I'll be reading them. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 19, 20, and 21. The acts of the flesh, well, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. That's a mouthful. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And here it is, listed in all that, this one word, drunkenness, orgies, wow, and the like. I warn you, as it did before, that those who live like this, says Paul, they just won't inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this, all these sins of the flesh, including those who get drunk regularly, they can't possibly embody the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, nor will they inherit it in their death because their life wasn't characterized by a kingdom of God lifestyle. Can you imagine, for instance, Jesus doing sexually immoral things, hating others, stirring up discord, fits of rage? getting drunk, participating in orgies, like, no. He never sinned. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us that. So, does that mean we can never sin? Because that's quite a burden, right? No. It means that if our lives are characterized by this, these things in the flesh that Paul just listed, which is to say, we do them more often than not, we forfeit the kingdom of God here and now and in the time to come. We've said yes to self-indulgence and no to the way of Jesus Christ. Instead, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit of God. So, when I was drunk, I thought and said and did things that embarrassed me and others things that I regretted. In a sense, I'd given up control of clear thinking, of clear speaking, of helpful things that I might do. Paul encourages followers of Jesus to instead be filled with the Spirit of God. This is the opposite. He's this contrasting a negative and a positive here, right? This is the opposite of being controlled by alcohol. Being controlled by alcohol leads to losses. Being controlled by the Spirit of God leads to gains, gains in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control and goodness. These are, of course, you might recognize, the fruit of the Spirit that follow those acts of the flesh. And again, the fruit of the Spirit. Hmm. That's another wine reference. But we might ask, and we should actually, how can, how can we be filled with the Spirit? You can give that some thought for a second if you like, but it's probably pretty intuitive. Firstly, I'd say, know that you can. God does not command things that we cannot do. Secondly, uh, we can set our minds on the things of the Spirit, says Paul in chapter 8. Verse 5 of the book of Romans, seeking the thoughts and the ways and the plans of God. So I'm here, I'm stuck here, I want to be spirit-filled, switch my thoughts, boom. And then lastly, by, and these, this is not exhaustive, again, you probably have your own thoughts on this, by making room in our hearts, right? Confessing sin. But being thankful that it's forgiven because of what Christ did, inviting the Spirit to fill us according to what our needs might be, but also according to His purposes. 
that's the first guideline. Here's the second guideline with accompanying texts. Love trumps liberty. So let's avoid drunkenness. And then secondly, love trumps liberty. Here are a couple of other centered references. And again, they're there for you to look up, read on your own or with me, or just drop in and listen along. I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial, Paul says. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Let's companion that with what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. This is a little bit longer, so stay with me. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone from or for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. That's salvation. That's being connected to Christ in relationship. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Now, this would take a lot of time to unpack in context, but here's the key for our teaching today. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall or stumble in their faith, other versions put it. We have, we have freedom in Christ, right? To drink or not to drink. These two passages combined encourage us to be mindful of who we might drink in front of. In the first passage, we're told to be mindful of what is good for others, not only just what's good for us. In the second passage, we are told to not drink in front of someone or with someone if it might cause them to uh, stumble in their faith. How do we do this? Uh, two words, really. This is oversimplifying, but I'm like trying to be reductionistic here. Don't judge. Drinkers, don't judge the abstainers. Abstainers, don't judge the drinkers. But please know who you're drinking in front of or with. If they are young in their faith, if it confuses them to see you drinking, if they are tempted by alcohol, maybe even if they have chosen to abstain, if a drink in front of them or with them might catalyze or possibly catalyze their fall back into alcoholism, or if they just ask you not to drink in front of them, please don't drink in front of them. All right? Can we agree to do that? Let's agree to do that. Choose love over liberty. So, to end, some Christians drink and some don't, and the Bible allows for both. Here, then, in summary, are our two points to ponder. It's okay to drink, but avoid drunkenness, and love 
trumps liberty. I once had a pastor in my life who said from the pulpit, and I love this guy, still do, you'll never become an alcoholic if, what? You don't take that first drink. I think he was just trying to protect us, to pull us back from that edge, or to create that hedge of protection, to borrow that cliche phrase, but I think he went a little too far. It says Martin Luther said, Do you suppose that abuses are eliminated by destroying the object which is abused? And to illustrate that, he says, Men can go wrong with wine and women. Shall we then prohibit and abolish women? Well, we can't. And we don't need to abolish either. Alcohol isn't the issue. It's the abuse of alcohol that the Bible warns us against. It's being filled, led by the Spirit of God that the Bible encourages. One last positive reference on topic, which I failed to put in my notes, so sorry about that. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26. Use the silver, so this is the money farmers got from the sale of some of their crops and maybe some of their herd. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. This is God's instruction to Israel. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there, wherever you do that, in the presence of the Lord your God, and rejoice. And I would just add, with thankfulness to him for provision. Alcohol is a gift from God to enjoy in his presence. And not to sound like a commercial, let's enjoy it responsibly for ourselves and respectfully with and in front of others. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, thank you that you invite us into uh, thinking these things through. I pray that wherever we sort of fall on the side of the, this question, uh, what do we do with alcohol? What does the Bible say about it? Why are Christians so uptight about it? That we would uh, create space for grace between us. That we would uh, be reminded of these scriptures that you have much positive to say about the consumption of these kinds of beverages. But also with cautions. And as always, um, the guidelines you lay out in your word are meant for our better health, our, our joy, our, our peace. So I pray that we would continue to be discerning about um, how we drink, who we drink in front of, how much, and maybe why we drink too. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless Cedar Valley.